Hello, friends. Welcome back to our podcast, Curiosity's Cocktails, uh, episode nine. Nine. We're almost at ten. Almost to double digits. Welcome back to our podcast. Hope you're having fun with us. We're having fun here. Every so, day. Every day. We're just going to jump right into it. No lollygag today. Our beverage was submitted by one of my friends. Her name is Liz. And it is. It is a pina colada sangria. And it is one entire bottle of Moscato wine, three fourths of a cup of coconut rum, and 20 ounces, or not 20. Uh, this recipe is like double what I made because we're only two people. So I have the recipe. So it's one bottle of Moscato. Three fourths cup of coconut rum and ten ounces of crushed pineapple. And since it has crushed pineapple, I would suggest stirring it while you drink it. It's pulpy. It yes, it is. I have so, a little spoon. I'm gonna sip out of. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's good. It's delicious. It reminds me of when we went to Mexico and had pina coladas on the beach. Oh, can we go back? Yes. Yeah, it literally just tastes like a tropical delicious drink. It does. It's really good. It is very good. Would recommend. Do like it. It's good. Got a little pineapple chunk. And I I'm not even pineapple. mad. I love pineapple. Yeah. Apparently if you it don't eats like, you though. What? It what? It eats you while you eat it. It eats you? Because it's how high of acidity it has. Oh. When you bite into a pineapple, the acid kind of eats away at your mouth. Love that. So it's kind of creepy. I eat it faster than it eats me though. You do. I think kiwi does the same thing. Fun facts with Trish. (laughs) You learned something new today, folks. So, let me get my notes. What you got for me on your docket? Let me get my notes. Okay. All I know is I've got some pretty hard to pronounce names. It's going to be a wild time. What's the origin? Russia. Oh, that's a whole different alphabet. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, today I am going to talk about the Dietlov Pass. Okay. I hope I said that right. I'm sorry if I didn't. In January of 1959, a man named Igor Dietlov, who was 23 years old, was an elite skier and hiker, and he assembled a group of nine others to accompany him on a 16-day expedition that would span over 190 miles across the North Ural Mountains in Russia. That's so much walking, guys. That's cross-country skiing, hiking. Woo! My Fitbit would explode. Yeah. It'd be like, this girl has never done these things. <laughs> Are you okay? She's like pushing 2,000 steps by the end of the day. <laughs> so, Igor was actually a student at the Ural Polytechnical Institute, now known as Ural Federal University. The other eight people who went with him were also students and experienced skiers and hikers as well. In total, there were eight men and two women and they all okay so i said eight other folks there are nine other folks so the original group was 10 people we'll just say that there were eight men and two women who all had grade two hiker certification and after this hike they were um set up to get grade three certification which was the soviet union's highest certification at the time for hiking and skiing and that sort of a thing i didn't know that was a thing it apparently is in on January 25th, 1959, the group of hikers slash skiers arrived in the town of Ivdel by train, and then they took a truck to Vizhai, which was the last town they were at before they actually started their journey. They 
purchased some supplies there that would aid them along their trip. Beef jerky. Trail mix. I actually read that there was bread. Dang. (laughs) But probably preserved items (laughs) like that also. So on January 27th, they started their trip, but one man by the name of Yuri Yudin actually wasn't feeling very well, so he returned to Vizhai where he stayed, so he opted out of the trip, which made their group nine people. So the remaining folks continued on. Their names, I apologize, right now. This one name is like 20 letters long. Their names were Igor Dietlov, he was 23, Yuri Doroshenko, who was 21. He's the one that stayed behind, right, though? No, that oh. was Yuri Yudin. Oh, different Yuri. Okay. Yuri it. is a very popular name, as you'll find out. So Yuri Doroshenko was 21, Lyudmila Dubanina was 20, Yuri Krivonoshenko was 23. Alexander Kolevatov was 24. Zinaida Kalmagorova was 22. Rustam Slobodin was 23. And Nikolai Thibault-Brignolis was 23. And Semyon Zolor... Oh my gosh. Zolotaryov was 38. Excuse student <laughs> Americans here. I Americanized all of that and I apologize. So, on January 31st, they arrived at a wooded valley where they created a cache of food and equipment that was intended for them to use on their trip back once they got to the same area. So, the next day, on February 1st, they actually began to move through what would later be dubbed Dietlov Pass. So, they actually had cameras on them, and there was lots of photos, and they took journals um, on their expedition. And from what they could tell from the journals, investigators determined that the group had hoped to make camp on the opposite side of the pass that night. However, snowstorms moved in and the group actually wound up a little more west than they intended at the top of a mountain called Kolat Siakol, Siakol? Um, which translated in the language of the local indigenous people around the area to Dead Mountain. Temperatures, as you can... Doesn't sound like a nice place. Yeah, no. (laughs) Temperatures, as you can imagine, up at the top of a mountain was very cold, and they were around negative 13 to negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit. And so what they did was they set up one very large tent for the entire group, which was where they stored their belongings, and they even had a stove to cook food, and they had all their clothes, their boots, extra food and all of that inside the tent. So Igor Dietlov, he was the one who was like the leader of the group. And he had told Yuri Yudin, the guy who left because he wasn't feeling well, that he would send a telegram once the group finished their expedition and got back to Vizhai, which I believe the date was February 12th. Don't quote me on that. But they never got word. And after a week, they um, contacted authorities. Igor had told this man... Um, Not to panic too much, if he didn't hear from him right on the 12th, he was planning to maybe take a little extra time. So if he was a little bit late, not to panic. And sometimes things just take longer, so it wasn't that big of a deal. So once it was a week late, they were like, okay, we have to do something. things are getting weird. And the families were starting to get really concerned and they wanted to know what was going on. So uh, the Ural Polytechnical Institute, which was where Igor was a student, actually made a rescue team of students and teachers, and they went looking for this group of people. So on February 26th, the rescuers um, 
went out looking for them and they actually found the group's tent. It had been nearly cut in half, but the cuts had actually been made from the inside of the tent. Inside the tent was all of their belongings, including clothing, shoes, food, some camera equipment, and outside of the tent were nine sets of footprints made by people who were either wearing only socks, one shoe, or were completely barefoot. So it appeared that they were inside the tent, something, whether it was an immediate threat or something they thought was coming, um, they cut the tent from the inside and left with no shoes anything i wonder if it could be hypothermia if right. they were you know i mean when you're in the late stages of hypothermia you think you're hot and you start freaking out and... right and that comes up later okay so the rescuers followed the footsteps uh which led them to a set of woods about a little less than a mile away to the northeast of the tent and right near the edge of the forest was the remains of a campfire near a large tree and that's where they found the bodies of yuri krivonoshenko and yuri doroshenko They were dressed in only their underwear, and there was a tree right next to them, which I mentioned, and the branches had all been broken up 15 feet up, which indicated that the men had tried to climb the tree but failed, Um, and they said that the men's hands were tore up and ravaged, so it also um, made people think that they had tried to climb the tree, and they don't know if they tried to climb the tree to get away from an immediate threat or to try and look back to find their camp. Uh, the bodies of Igor Dietlov, Zinaida Kolomorgorova, <laughs> and um, Rustam Slobodin lay between the tree and the camp, each several hundred meters apart, and a meter is three feet, so several feet apart, um, if you're listening in the U.S., the only place that doesn't use meters. So these three were all actually in a line, as if they were trying to crawl back to the camp, because that's the direction that they were, their bodies were facing. They were wearing more clothing than the first two men that were found. And then the remaining four members of the party actually weren't found until May 4th, which was months later, and they were buried under 13 feet of snow. And they were found 225 feet further into the woods past the tree where the first two men were found. And they were in a ravine near a creek, and there were signs that as one of these people died, their clothes were taking, taken by the survival, uh, the people who were still alive, for extra warmth. Um, they said that Dubanina's foot was uh, wrapped in Krivonoshenko's pants, while um, one of the men was wearing Dubanina's coat and hat. So someone passed away before Dubanina. She took their items, and then once she passed away, someone else took her clothing Um, some of it. So these folks actually had dug themselves a large den in the snow and put branches in it, um, which they think was to help try and get some warmth and structure to the den so that they would be protected from the elements. And it was believed that they had survived longer than the other people in the group. So they eventually found the bodies of all of these hikers slash skiers who were all very skilled at hiking and skiing and this was definitely not a new venture for them so once they started the autopsies things started getting a little bit weird i mean let's just look back at the situation Mm -hmm. skilled hikers they have a structure set up right 
for safety. Right. I'm assuming they probably brought, you know, sleeping bags and shit that are up to the levels of cold. To which keep them warm. Which they knew was to be expected. Right. Because, I mean, negative 22 is as cold as it's going to get. Right. <clears throat> for some reason, they left it off. And they have the sleeping bags and the gear to... Because they are expecting this. Right. They're going to be they're trekking. In a mountain pass. They knew it was going to be cold. And I actually heard from one source that, yes, it was cold, but it was actually better than they expected. So, so it's going to be cold. They have probably just the gear on their body, even outside their sleeping bags, to keep them warm because they're going to be trekking during mm-hmm. the day in this. Right. Why did they cut their shelter right. and run out? And why weren't they wearing clothes? Did right. someone just... they Right. Like they cut from the inside out of the tent. They didn't open the tent. No. They, they ruined their structure. Their way right. Which was probably winter resistant also. Right. And ran out into without the elements which were the I'm biggest enemy. I'm guessing if they were barefoot, they probably had really good sleeping bags. So why did they run out and then try and make a shelter in Elsewhere. a snowbank? Right. This doesn't make any sense uh-uh. to me. No, 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 it does not. So once they started the autopsies, um, one of the people had fractures to his skull and Lyud. Mila Dubanina and Semyon um, had major chest fractures that could not have been done by a human, but none of the other bodies had any external injuries. They were all, uh, like, these three were massive internal injuries. And the doctor said that the force causing the injuries to these bodies was comparable to a car crash, as if they were subjected to a high level of pressure. Dubanina was actually missing both of her eyes and her tongue. This is just... (laughs) confused what yes and she was the only one missing her tongue Um, are we just a roll past the fact that she didn't have any eyes at this point why so they said they these three their bodies were by a crick and that there might have been some melting snow which could contribute to more decomposition and that your eyes will decompose faster so they were like okay the eyes thing is a little weird because the other people weren't really missing their eyes but they were like her tongue was also missing, which was not normal for, like, the stage of decomposition and whatever else. So that was weird. Normal's tongue just falls off. Right. Your tongue doesn't just come out. So. It's a big, muscly flap of stuff. Yeah, right? It's in there. Like, it doesn't just come out. Officially, the other six group members died from hypothermia, while the other three had the fatal um, internal injuries. The people who made the snow den... By the ravine, like I said, um, they had more soft tissue damage, which was apparently due to decomposition, being near melting snow and water, and there. But the thing that confuses me is they were under thirteen feet of snow, so it melted and decomposed them, and then snowed more. I don't know. I'm guessing, yeah, probably just that <clears throat> um, whole process of melting and freezing. Yeah. And I mean, and then. Um, there weren't any footprints other than what they believed belonged to the members of the expedition. It looked like there was nine set of footprints and there was nine people. And there were actually three separate pieces of clothing found on the two men near the pine trees that were radioactive. What in the world? <laughs> Why? <laughs> no idea. So the thing is, the two men that the radioactive clothing belonged to both actually had prior jobs where... Um, the one worked in, like, a top-secret nuclear plant. Okay, that makes sense then. And the other one also did some sort of, like, nuclear something. Okay, but maybe that makes sense. it wasn't. And a lot of people were like, why were these two top-secret nuclear, like, 
trained people in the same place at the same time like seems weird maybe nuclear people are friends yeah it's not a very big group of people that work on nuclear (laughs) stuff so the official cause of death which was very upsetting to some people was that the skiers died because they encountered a natural force that they were unable to overcome and that was it that's was their cause of death besides hypothermia they were like this is how we explain it that's some bs yes and people were very upset and um so this was the soviet union and apparently they uh like the case was not accessible to the public they didn't share any other details to the public um and it was basically just a giant question mark and people were pretty outraged that they never knew what happened so there are some theories one of the theories is of course aliens they kind of correlated it to the fact that sometimes animals are found without tongues and um, a lot of that time, like, you'll read about, like, cows missing their eyes and their tongues and there's, like, crop circles and weird stuff. So some people believe that it was aliens. Some people believe that it was a Bigfoot slash Yeti slash the Abominable Snowman. Um, the hikers, like I said, had cameras on them and they actually took a lot of photos and you can see, like, group photos of them online. They're smiling. Can you and- see a Yeti? Yes, actually. Really? (laughs) But you can see them, like, laughing and smiling and, like, in their camp. And then there is a picture. uh, It's, like, a picture of the woods. And there's, like, a big humanoid shape, right? And some people are like, that's a Yeti. And then other people like, or it's just, like, a fuzzy picture of one of the hikers. So that's not, like, a super concrete Bigfoot thing. But it's something that came up. And then another one was that they were attacked by a local Mansi tribe or other tribesmen, but that was kind of debunked because there weren't extra footsteps leading to or out of the camp. I think you would see a Bigfoot footprint. Right. Oh. But like... Whether it was... The a- force of a car. Yes. <laughs> what in the world does yeah. that? Yeah, I don't know. And whether it was a And big- why did they only take <coughs> one tongue? I don't know. That's a great question. Why just one? I don't know. This looks like a good tongue. That's take a prime this. tongue. Why? Good question. I got a lot of questions here. Yes. So, regardless of if it was a Yeti or a local, uh, like, indigenous tribe, there was no extra footsteps or anything. And that tribe was actually known to be pretty peaceful. So, they didn't think that that was the cause. Um, they tried to explain the men who are in their underwear, um, as you mentioned earlier. Sometimes when people have hypothermia, they actually get so cold that they feel like they're getting hotter and hotter. So they will actually start taking off all of their clothes, which is why they tried what they tried to use to explain the two men. Right. Uh, but that didn't explain anybody else because some of them, like they said, like everybody left the tent without shoes on. Uh, but they didn't like some people were barefoot. Some people had socks. Some people had one shoe on. The hypothermia thing, like, would have explained the two men being in only their undergarments, but I feel like the other they people were entered the shelter and were probably in sleeping bags that are warm enough that they were comfy, cozy, probably right, right, that they wouldn't just be like, "Let's run out of here without any of our clothes." Like, yeah. I feel like something had to shock them out of their right. tent. So another um, theory is a military cover-up. Because there was apparently Soviet military 
parachute mine testing going on in the area and that was confirmed and some people recall seeing fireballs in the sky and they think that maybe a test went wrong and accidentally killed the three people who had the crushing wounds and that the military then staged it all to look like an accident because they didn't want to admit that they had accidentally killed these people so they staged it to look like they were um, succumbed by an avalanche and they think that the loud explosions that can happen from parachute mine testing made the people flee the tent and that the other three are accidentally killed by an explosion. And the folks that left the tent struggled to get back to the tent because they were so disoriented and they didn't have the proper clothing on. Um, and apparently parachute mines actually detonate in the air rather than the ground. So they produce heavy internal damage and not as much external damage that you see with like minefields in the ground so that kind of fit um some things that were also suspicious was that the body had liver mortis on the front of their bodies which is when you die and your heart can't pump the blood through your body anymore you'll get like darkening of where like the liver blood spots yes like where the blood pools and um some of them had that on the fronts of their bodies like they were laying face down but when they were found they were on their backs suggesting on their backs to their sides, which suggested that their bodies had been moved. So that seemed suspicious. And then the photographs that they had on their cameras of the tents looked like that the tent had not been um, put up correctly. And this tent was actually like two tents that had been joined together and that Igor specifically made this tent and they knew how to set it up. They'd used it before and there was no reason why they would have done it incorrectly. So they think that maybe someone else tried to set it up to make it look like this is where their camp was and they didn't know how the tent worked, which is why it looked like it was set up incorrectly. Um, also playing into the fact that it might have been military people trying to stage something. And then they said that might also explain why there was radioactive stuff on two of the men's clothes because there could have been um, radioactive weapon testing but then they said, if that's the case, why wasn't it on all of the bodies and why was it just two of them? So that was one theory. And then another theory was avalanche, except for that didn't really make sense because the first five bodies had a very shallow amount of snow on top of them. The last three, they were buried under 13 feet of snow, but the first ones was um, not that much, like their bodies were easily found. And over... Um, and. Also, they were experienced hikers and skiers, and they wouldn't have set up camp in a place that seemed prone to avalanche. Um, and Igor was actually working towards being, like, certified as, like, a hike ski, like, instructor. And that's one of the things that they're trained on is to find, like, good conditions, where to set up camp, to make sure you're not setting yourself up for um, situations like that. And after this event happened, there was over 100 expeditions to the same region, and none of them ever reported conditions that might cause avalanches, so that didn't seem very likely. And then the footprint patterns leading from the tent were inconsistent with running in panic, which is very confusing because it said the footprints were actually shallow, and it seemed like a group of people was just walking out of the tent in just like a typical regular manner. And that the footsteps weren't very far away, so it looked like they were just walking as opposed to 
if you were panicking about an avalanche or like an explosion, you would be running from the tent. And Unless you were dazed and confused. Right. And it's strange because they cut themselves <laughs> out, but then they walked away from it. Maybe they more so stumbled away? Something. Yes. So then one of the other explanations that came up in 2019 actually was catabatic wind, which are um, actually somewhat rare events that are extremely violent winds. And sudden winds would have made it impossible to stay in the tent. And the most rational course of action would have been to cover the tent with snow and seek shelter in the tree line from the winds. And like I said, this was a new possible explanation in 2019 after a Swedish-Russian expedition went to the Dyatlov Pass. And they proposed this may have been what happened. But if there was extreme winds... This tent probably would have not been there. Right. If there was crazy extreme winds, how was the tent still there at all? Like standing. Like that doesn't make sense to me. (coughs) I mean... And as soon as I got out, it, it would have, like... I mean, it's kind of, like, fallen down because it was all sorts of cut up. But, like, the stuff was still there. Like, I would have expected it to be, like, spewed over, like, a large area away, yeah. or something would have blown away. And then the last theory, which makes the most sense to me, is infrasound, which is a wind phenomenon that can produce infrasound capable of inducing panic attacks in humans. So basically, it's like a wind pattern that creates sound waves with frequencies that are so low that you can't physically hear them, but your body still reacts to them. So a lot of people will respond to them um, with like panic and anxiety and fear. And um, it's possible that they were subject to this sound. Um, And one I read was they had dinner at like six or seven was the last thing that they were known to do. And then they have no idea what happened after that. So it's possible that the infrasound, um, that they were hearing it, didn't know they were hearing it because you can't physically, like, it's not a sound that you hear. Um, But eventually it drove them into physical mental distress that drove them to leave the tent. And by the time they were far enough away from the tent that they weren't um, subject to the infrasound anymore, that they were far enough away because it was almost an entire mile that they struggled to get back and that might have been why they had the little campfire and tried to climb the tree to find their tent because they weren't subject to that sound anymore so then they were thinking more rationally and that maybe they struggled to get back and under this theory they said that those crazy crushing injuries could have been because those people were found near a ravine and maybe they fell off the ravine and like crashed into some rocks or something where that tongue though yeah, but why didn't she have a tongue? And there's still, those are the like main theories, but I'm still just like, I have so many questions. How does that happen? Like, there's just so many, str- like, Odd why was she things? missing a tongue? Why did they, I mean, I guess if they cut themselves out, you would think they'd be in a panic. So why did they just nonchalantly walk from the tent? Also, And if they were like, chill nonchalant leaving in a daze why didn't they just use the door why did they start a fire so close to camp instead of just getting their things to warm up right i mean did they truly not see it it was a mile okay like 0.93 miles so it was almost an entire mile away but they they started a fire but then those two men had died the other ones were further in the woods but three of them were crawling back towards the camp so I'm just like, what's the world happening? Happened. They still have, to this day, 
no idea what happened. But there's like pictures all up until this and there's journals and then it's just dead silence and they found these people's bodies in these crazy circumstances. Two of them are like nearly naked, which the hypothermia thing makes sense to me. Right. Um, unless they were like sleeping. I would say they might not have been sleeping in their clothes. Right. Because they're going to like pack pajijis if you're like right. taken. <laughs> right. Like they might have been. I mean, they were sleeping or not. I don't know. But the hypothermia thing makes sense where if maybe they took off their clothes because they thought they were getting hot. Like, I'm sure they had, like, super good sleeping bags. So they might have just Oh, they in. had to have been prepared, right? Like, like they so were like, maybe they just had their hiking <coughs> clothes, which were really warm and heavy, and they took them off and got in their sleeping bags. Right. Which and is, then whatever happened, and then they got then, hypothermia, and then they took off right. what they did have on. Or they just, or they went to bed like that, and then right. they wo- were woken up, and they got out of their sleeping bag, didn't put their winter clothes on, and ran out in the snow right. half-ass naked. Right. Like... But there's so many things that just don't. Yeah, add up. why I'm were so they confused. radioactive? Like, I get they worked at a radioactive, but I, from everything I read, it sounded like it had been a long time, and it was like on their clothes. And why didn't the I girl have a tongue? Like, how deep is that ravine to cause car like damage? Impact? Right. Like, also, they, also, wait, why were their bones not broken? But like. Like, I mean, I would feel like if, if you, you fall fell into down a, ravine, a ravine and they didn't have any external injuries, right? It was and well that and it was like all internal. If you fell down a ravine, you'd have like scratches and gashes and stuff. Wouldn't you think? You would think so. And they had like built themselves a den, and like from what I understood, I thought they were in the den, but maybe they weren't. But oh. and like one person died, and then they like took his clothes. Then the next person died, and then they took their clothes. And, like, I don't know. There's just a whole lot of weird things. And I have questions. <laughs> and we're never going to know. That's and that drives odd. me nuts. And it's just that, I mean, they were all so young. Like, they were in their early 20s. Early 20s. Right? But like they were not- already, like, grade two, like, certified. Like, they knew what they were going this into. This probably what they always did. This was did. not their first rodeo. Like, they knew where to set up camp. They knew how to avoid these bad conditions. They were were prepared. They should have had like the proper equipment. And one something sort, had to freak them out enough to cut open something, their own tent. right? Like why else would they cut? You don't cut your shelter, right, from the inside, especially, especially when like a door. When, and when you're in those kind of conditions, you don't ruin your shelter, no. right? Like that's why I'm like, what was going on? And one read that I read said that maybe. Because they had a stove and it had like an external exhaust pipe that like stuck outside the tent. So it had to be warm in there. And one thing that I read said maybe they cooked their food and then the embers like caught back up, which would have caused a lot of smoke to get into the tent. And from the cuts, there were like some cuts that were just like, because there were like big chunks cut out, like for like a doorway to get out. And then there were just some slits in it. So they were like, maybe they just cut some slits to try and get the smoke out. You and open that, your thing or you move the tent or you move the thing out. Right. And you they don't were like, cut well, your shelter. Maybe they woke up and they were in such a panic because there was smoke. So they cut it open. And I don't know. None of it makes sense to me. I'm just like. Unless they couldn't see, then maybe I could Right. And they're like, oh, shoot. We can't get out. We just have to cut an opening, which is possible. Um. And there was one photo of one guy who's, like, his jacket looked like it had been almost, like, burnt up. And they were like, oh, so maybe they had troubles with the stove before and whatever else. I'm like, that's a pretty big assumption to make. Um, Basically, none of it makes any sense and we have no idea what happened and it's crazy. And I have questions. Agreed. No idea. Yeah. I mean, I think the most likely one is the sound thing that 
They were I have never he- heard of that in my life. They were hearing something and they didn't know it and it got to them. And But then again, it's kind of like they all suffered from it at the same time. Right. Like, I don't know. It's very strange. Very odd. It is very odd. And I just, I just don't know. You just have questions. I do have a lot of questions. We all have questions. And I'll never know. And that bothers me. All right. Are we ready for our next topic? I'm ready. We're going back to the haunted item realm. I love haunted items. I so mean, have you heard? I wouldn't love to have one, but they're fun to listen to. Have you heard of the conjure chest? Was Annabelle there? No. No, then I have not. So the conjure chest, to begin our story, we have to go back to 1830. Because a long time ago. Where this probably occurred at the beginning of the story is Meade County, Kentucky. Oh, the U.S., huh? The U.S. Kentucky. So we have a guy named Jeremiah Graham. Okay. He's getting ready for his first kid. A baby. A baby. Okay. So he has an enslaved man. Oh, no. Named Remus. Oh, no. He wants to, he wants him to make him a handmade chest. Okay. For the upcoming baby. To put like things in. Store things in, sure. Well, he gets the chest. Uh-huh. It's not up to his standards. What? Make it yourself then. In his mind. So it wasn't up to his standards and he beat Remus. Oh. Who ended up dying from his injuries. <gasps> oh, no. After this happened. Voodoo curse chest. Now we're going. The other enslaved people that oh. were there, they put, they sprinkled dried owl blood inside the chest. Oh no! And cursed it. That seems like a bad thing to do. And they cursed it. Dried owl blood. It said How dried. Do you, what is that? You, I'm not sure. I guess you dry you just, it like, out. Get some blood and then let it, it dry. Dries and you flake it. I'm thinking so. Oh, gross. So it's like. So obviously Jeremiah, when he's so upset about this chest being not up to his standards, still decides he's gonna use it. <laughs> this thing sucks, but. I killed the guy who made it, so now I might as well use it anyway because I and got the nobody else. And beautiful. It's mahogany. Aww. It has, like, intricate carvings. It's a pretty chest. It's a, of drawers. So they he decides to use it anyways, and he puts it in his house, and mm-hmm. he stores his child's clothes in there. Yeah. So clothes. So the thing with this chest is whoever's clothes you put in there, they die. Uh-oh. His kid died. Died in infancy. The child did. Oh, baby. 16 people. Oh. Died from this curse. Okay. Of putting the clothes in there. So we got a long (coughs) list of people who have apparently died, and we can go through some of them. There's a little bit wonky in this timeline. Okay. I don't know what happened, but we're going to start following. Okay. So Jeremiah Graham's child dies. Uh Uh-huh. In infancy. Uh Uh-huh. So his twin brother, Jonathan, had a kid, a son. Uh Uh-huh. They put the son's clothing in there. Uh-oh. Later in life. Sounds bad. I mean, it, he lived for a long time. 21. That's my first birthday. He was stabbed by his body servant. Oh. Well, that's so, unfortunate. Jeremiah and Jonathan's sister-in-law, Amanda Graham, mm-hmm. takes the chest. Put the chest in the attic. Oh. She was suspicious. She was suspicious. So then they had an immigrant, John Ryan. From Ireland, mm-hmm. who is married to Catherine Winchell. Mm-hmm. Amanda Graham, the one who moved it into the uh, the attic. Uh-huh. She arranged for them to live on her land, and she gave them the chest. Here's a lovely gift for uh-huh. you. 
hello immigrant welcome to my land take this please so farm life didn't go well for them and they were poor Catherine got ill john was gonna go to new orleans to find work he was killed who's john uh john ryan and Catherine winchell (coughs) was he the immigrant he's the immigrant okay and she gave them the The chest. chest okay so their farm life didn't work out. Catherine became ill. John was going to go to New Orleans to find work, and he was killed in an accident. Uh-oh. And she died, I'm assuming, from her illness. Okay. So then Louis Gregory, a child of Elijah Ryan and John David Gregory, uh-huh. which this is like a little bit wonky because I'm like, where did these people come from? But I'm assuming it's the immigrants, John Ryan and his wife had a kid. Oh, sure. I'm thinking this is that's who these people are. Because I was looking at this for a while, like, where did they come from? <laughs> where did you come from? Uh, they had a child and put the clothes in the chest, and they died Aww. at the age of 10. So Elijah and John David Gregory's only son, Ernest Gregory, married Stella Stone Cipher. Okay. She put her wedding clothes in there. Oh, no. They went in 1895. Oh, no. She died within two years of the wedding. Oh, man. So then there was Mabel Lewis Whitehead, a relative to the Gregory family. She went and lived with Elijah and John David Gregory in 1884. She Uh married Wilbur Harlan in 1897. Uh In 1901, Mabel and Wilbur had a baby named Chester. Oh, and they put their baby's clothes in the chest. They did that, and it died at two weeks old. Oh, people. Is nobody keeping tabs on this? Stop putting stuff in the chest. So Wilbur Harlan's clothes were placed in the chest. Who's? Was that the dad? Uh, Wilbur Harlan's clothes were put in the chest. And then he died. (laughs) He died. Oh, no. Then there was John David Gregory's nephew, Emmett, son of John David's sister, Lucy B. Lucy B. Gregory. So many names I got lost like 10 minutes ago. I know. This is the same thing with this (laughs) list. It's a long lineage. She had dated gloves and a scarf in the chest for her son's Christmas gift. Aww. Uh, Did he die or did she die? So there was Emmett. it was his gift. So there's John da- <laughs> David Gregory's nephew, Emmett, was the son of John David's sister, Lucy B. Gregory. Lucy hid knitted gloves and a scarf in the chest for her son's Christmas gift. Yeah. Emmett worked for the railroad one evening in December 1909. Emmett got off the train and fell 30 feet from a trestle. Oh. No. <laughs> there's so many names. And it just keeps going on. Nellie Gregory, daughter of Elijah and John David Gregory, married Fred Fraze. 1905, Nellie placed her wedding clothes in the chest, and apparently Fred left her, deserted her, so it doesn't sound like she died. But did she die? Someone must have died, because there's 16 but victims. clue, uh, the hangover scene, but did you die? But did you die, though? Okay. When Elijah Gregory's husband, John David, died in 1908, Elijah rearranged her house and moved the chest into her room. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, she took her life. Oh. She took her own don't life. Don't do it. Don't put the chest in your room. So then the chest moved with Elijah and John David Gregory. Is anybody Gregory's. suspicious of this thing yet? Or are they just like, love that chest. Love that <laughs> for me. Oh, you think so. Granddaughter Virginia Carol Hudson Cleveland and her husband, Kirkley Cleveland. Virginia put her child's baby clothes in the chest. The baby was born Quit prematurely. Quit putting your kid's clothes in there. It was born prematurely and died. Oh, my God. They had two daughters. Virginia and Kirtley Cleveland, the second being Anne Carey Cleveland. Anne's clothing was placed in the chest. Ugh. She got polio. Oh, my God. Virginia and Kirtley Cleveland's older daughter, 
Virginia Hudson, Cleveland. They put the wedding clothes in the chest. Uh oh. Wilbur Brister married Virginia Hudson in 1943. December 1944, Wilbur was rushed to a hospital for an appendant appendectomy, uh-huh. and he died. Uh. Wilbur was rushed to the hospital for an appendectomy. He died December 9th from an overdose of ether. He died from an overdose of ether. So do they like? Yeah. Did they use that to treat a pandemic back I in the day? I feel like that's how they made them, like, pass out. Okay. All right. So, I Virginia and Curtley's neighbor, Herbert H. Moore Jr., put his hunting clothes in the chest. Oh. He was killed in a gun accident. Quit using the chest, people. And then last, Richard, Virginia, and Curtley's son, Richard, put his clothes in the chest. Less than a week later, he was stabbed through the hand at school. Through the hand? So I don't know if he died, but... He was still stabbed. He was still stabbed. So at this point... Where is this thing? At this point... Zach Baggins Museum. <laughs> we can get to that in a second. Oh. But he wanted it. at this like, point, oh, okay. Virginia's like, freaking done with this. Yeah. She's like, this chest is cursed. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Yeah. So she asked Sally, who's a maid that worked for her for like her whole life. Uh-huh. She's like, do you know how to break a conjure? Sure. And she did. Oh. So what they had to do, they needed a dead owl. Of course. Brought unasked by a friend. Which... So they just needed someone <laughs> to be like, hey, girl, I don't know why, but I, girl, I brought you this dead owl. Apparently. Who would do that? Maybe you go to your friend's house and you like hit it with your horse and buggy. <laughs> or like, I'm thinking maybe like you tell someone to tell someone to tell her that they should bring, but you That's don't still ask. Asking. But you didn't ask though. Because how else is... It's a loophole. But how else is someone else going to bring... No, like, you know what you do is you kill an owl. People don't You put it your- in your yard. You invite your friend over. <laughs> they pick up the owl. They're like, hey, girl, did you know you got that owl? And you're like, and you're like oh, thank you. dear, do I? But, like, this is the other thing I feel like people do, you know, just bring dead owls. Anyways. That is very strange. If somebody brought a dead owl to my house, I'd be like, um, excuse me... Uh, why are you bringing me dead creatures? <laughs> Please don't do that. Okay, thanks. So you have your dead owl. So she got it. Somebody brought her one? Then you take the lease of a willow tree planted by a friend. I'm going to need you to plant me a tree quick. And it needs to grow now. Like right. Like yesterday. Like yesterday. I'm going to start giving all my friends willow trees for Christmas so that they plant them. So planted by a friend. Just in case I need to break a Just in case you have to break a car. You never know. So then you boil them. What, the owl and the tree together? No. So you take the leaves of the willow tree planted by a friend, okay. boil them in sight of the dead owl. Inside the dead owl? In sight. In sight? Like, it has to be seeing the boiling so, happening. What does the owl does? Apparently. But it's dead. Apparently needs to yeah. see a boil. Okay. You then put the liquid in a jug, bury it with a handle facing east under a flowering bush. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you do these things. What if your jug doesn't have a handle? Well, your jug needs to have a handle, so it's facing east under a flowering bush. Hey, what man. if you ain't got no bushes that are flowering? Then you gotta fucking find yourself a bush. Good lord. Okay. This is why voodoo. This is too much for me. This is extra. <laughs> these are a lot of steps. I'm not willing to go through all these steps. There's a lot of steps. Sheesh. So, and then a- also cut off the toe of a friend who asks you to <laughs> Will you please put it in a pot toe? of soup for your uncle who wants toe soup. Jesus. Um, there's a lot of steps. But if it is successful, the curse will be broken. No. It's going to be broken. But also, someone is going to die, either Sally or Virginia, 
before the leaves fall off the bush in the fall. Someone apparently has to die for the curse to be broken. Okay. And Sally the maid died in September. What the? So they're like, hey, someone's going to die, but like the curse is broken, and then all these other people won't die. But still, Sally's like, I did not sign up for this. Pretty much. But she's the one that told her how to break the curse. She is. And she told her that knowing that she might die. What a lady. Medal of Honor. I was going to say, she must have like had some major loyalty to her, yeah. Virginia to like willing to put her life on the line for this shit. Because she had to have known, right? No, yeah, she knew. She was the one who said that one if, of them would die. If the curse, if the breaking of the curse is successful, one maybe of them will die. Maybe she was just like hoping it was her, the other lady. <laughs> or maybe she was like, like super, super selfless. Yeah. Wow. So I think the, the chest stayed in the family for a while and they were like, I'd have been like, nah. They were still like sketched out by it. Yeah. So at this point, they didn't want to put it out on the streets because they were still worried about putting someone's clothes in it. And they were like, I don't want to just Naturally. leave. I don't want to just leave it out on the street for someone to take and then they use it and then that The whole person, cycle starts again. The whole cycle starts again. So at this point in time, it is at the Kentucky Historical Society, which is like a museum. Okay, but did Zach Baggins try and buy it? Hold on. Of course he did. Okay, okay. So you can go in the chest. Wait, what? And there's, there's a, a Kentucky note. museum? You can go in the chest? No, but if you look well, if oh. you look in the chest. I'm like, I can crawl in there's there? There's still owl feathers in the top drawer. Ew! The, the okay, owl but feathers like, were from, they placed there? No, from the original. original. Like, no, the, the conjure, like, to break the conjure. That was owl Ew. feathers. Or in the top drawer. Spooky. There's a note from Virginia explaining what happened. Ew. And it sits in the historical society at the moment. But Zach Bag is trying to buy it. He didn't try. He he didn't try to buy it. Um, he visited his it. show. Yeah, oh. artifacts. Oh, all right. He has an artifact show where people bring in. Did bring the chest onto his show. They brought the chest to him. Yeah, they brought the chest to him to show him, okay. and then he was sitting there. He's like, "Is that the conjure chest?" <laughs> and they're like, "I've heard about that chest." And he's like, "They're like, it is the conjure chest," and he's like, "Because you know how he do." Yeah, he freaked out. And he was like asking the histor like the museum guy about it, and the museum guy was being kind of like, uh, what's the word, skeptical about it. And he's like, okay, but be real with me. Would you put your clothes inside there? Yeah. And the museum guy was like, no, no, I wouldn't. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't. No. But yeah, it and was- Zach's like, ha, gym sock. Here we go. Put no, it in there. Didn't. No, no one put anything inside there. I think they did Thank like God. a like a spirit reading around like you know an emf reader yeah yeah and they like put it around the chest and they didn't read a lot but then they put it on the family member next to the chest who was also there yeah like a descendant and yeah. like the thing went crazy wild just like around her oh so it was an interesting episode but yeah zach baggins what a guy zach baggins he's everywhere i He's 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 just you love to hate him i do he's great right like you watch him and you're just like so entertained, but at the same time, you're like, come on, what? Zach. Zachary, come on. I love his show. So Zachary Binks. The Conjure Chest, an interesting thing. That's wild. Owls are creepy anyway. There are a lot of times, in ravens. Yeah. Owls and ravens are used in a lot of like ritualistic yeah. things, I feel like. But that is hmm. my haunted item of the week. That's neat. Don't put your clothes in a chest. Would you rather... No, would you Put rather your clothes in the conjure chest or sit in the death chair? The conjure chest at least sounds like sometimes it's spaced out. Yeah, like sometimes, and sometimes you just get stabbed in the hand. Like, yeah. So I feel like something bad is going to befall you, but. Yeah. I feel like I would do that just because death chairs 
Also, apparently the curse is supposed to be broken on the conjure chest. That's true. The Uh, death chair curse never got broken. It's just chilling on a wall now. Keep it up there. (laughs) I'm just imagining some dumb freaking person going in there and being like, jumps up and just slaps it. (laughs) (laughs) Take that. (laughs) Hold on. Because I went to high school with some interesting fellows. And I know for a hundred percent they they would have hu- yeah. hi- like tried to hide up and slap it because they're so- absolutely they would have for sure. All right, uh. are we doing the would you rather's? Yeah, we did the first one. Yeah. All right. Boom 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 ba dum boom ba enter. What is it called? I have no idea what you're doing. Boom boom like between segments enter like a break time like intermission intermission. <laughs> Intermission. I'm not gonna put music in. I'm just gonna let you do that. Oh god, I'm so bad. Keep going. Okay. Would you rather have five percent of the population have telepathy, or five percent of the population have telekinesis, and you are not part of the five percent that has either? Telekinesis, hundred percent. I'm gonna I don't know. Mo- I'm gonna know if someone smacks you upside the head with a can or a spoon or something. But you don't know if they're reading your brain. I don't know if they're reading my brain. Yeah, I, I'm never gonna know that. I'm gonna physically feel it. If someone but hits me. at the same time, if you didn't know, maybe you're blissfully unaware. Whereas if someone's sending machetes at your face. And there's nothing you can do. At least I know. And it's only 5%. That's not, I mean, that's a lot of people for the whole world, but. It is. And, like, I feel like we'd have some regulations on telekinesis. How do you stop that, though? Just How say, do you have regulations? You just How say, do you have laws against people moving stuff with their brains? That, you know, when people start getting killed Then you just by... slap them upside with a wardrobe and be like, nope, I reject your law. Well, if someone slaps me upside the head with a wardrobe, I'm going to slap them upside the head with my fist, so... I think you would lose that fight. I would lose that fight 100% <laughs> of the time, but they're still going to get punched. I feel so. like I would just go with, because telepathy, they can read it. They can't control your mind, right? Right. I don't want them to read my mind, though. I mean. It's personal, private thoughts My mind's like a hot mess disaster dumpster I'm going to tell you right now, my mind is. Yeah, so they'd get in my mind and they'd be like, oh my God. And they would swiftly make their exit out of right stage. They'd be like, let me out. Let me out. They'd be so terrified of what they saw in my brain that they wouldn't have a good time anyway. As opposed to like, I don't think I'd like to sit in a room and have someone sending knives at me that I can't stop. Whereas if they're reading my brain and I don't know about it, if I don't know about it, just don't tell me you're doing it. Don't touch my inner monologue. Yeah, I mean, it'd be like uh, the worst, The eye most of the tiger is going of, on in there right now. It'd be like the worst. And I don't need someone listening to my eye of the tiger. No one else yeah. needs to be pumped up other than me. So. It'd be highest level of like invasion of privacy. Exactly. But. And I got some good thoughts. It's comedy gold up there. Same. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> but I can, I can be a charming personality. I am charming. With a lot of, what's it called? Um, intellectual property. Oh. That you could be thieving. Don't be thieving it. No, girl. Ooh. What? Hey. We're getting close to the hour mark. <coughs> Una hora. Una hora? Una hora. One hour. One hour? Una hora? Is that Spanish? I think so. Don't come for me. I took two years in high school and we did Rosetta Stone in the second year, so. <laughs> Let's rate this beverage. Oh, it was delicious. I would give it like. I'm going to say 7.5 because I gave the last one an 8, and I 
think I like the last one more, but this one's still really good. Yeah. I'm going to say like a seven. Maybe I should re-rate, like give the last one 8.5 and this one an eight, because I feel like that's above average. I mean, it's really good. Well, average is what, like five? I guess average is seven. It is? It's a C. Yeah, I suppose. A five's failing. Well, if we're talking academic terms, I'm talking just life in general. Well, I don't know. I'm going to give it a seven. Yeah. I liked it. There was wine in it, but I didn't really taste the wine. Right. Um, and I love pineapple. So. I do like pineapple. I'm easy peasy to please with that. Yeah. But I, I liked the episode eight lime apple yeah, that brandy. One was really good. That was really tasty. I like the tartness This of one was good, though. Like, I'd have another one. I in would. fact, I have more because... I think I might go have another one before You have I to make, out. like, a whole entire pitcher, so... <laughs> but yeah, I give it a seven, probably. Seven. Solid seven. I agree. Would consume again. Thank you, Liz. Love that. All right. Better than my childhood medicine. (laughs) Same. Better than the three drinks I had that days like cough syrup and I... We realized some things. I I still don't like yuck. I still don't Don't like like rosemary. Don't like cough syrup. Don't like rosemary. Laugh real hard when my friends fall downstairs. Dude, that was so rough. That's funny. Anywho, life's rough for a podcaster. It's tough. So, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please rate us. Leave a review. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, Subscribe and follow us everywhere else. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and we have an email, curiositiesandcocktails at gmail.com, where you can send us your own spooky stories and the beverages you would like us to try and rate and review on an episode. And we will do it for you all for you all right thanks for tuning in guys episode nine we're almost on 10 we should do something special for 10 Double. we're thinking about it we're thinking about what the fancy thing we can do for 10 and just don't get your hopes up though because we might just do yeah. another episode so like we're gonna do like a fancy thing but if we don't like i told you we might not so yeah. we'll try okay i'm depends limited on, depends on how much you guys like and comment it's really up to you come on <laughs> we're gonna need like uh like you did i'm looking for 100k likes on this episode so like <laughs> Get those buttons going. That didn't make sense. It's I got 100k likes. On what? On this last episode. Where? On any of the streaming services combined. You can't like them on Spotify. Okay, well, not Spotify then. Can you like them on iHeartRadio? Wherever you could like them and present them. L- like if it. I get 100k likes, <laughs> I will record in the nude next time and make Hannah feel really awkward. Love that for me. Love that for you too. I'd pay a dollar. You pay a dollar? That's <laughs> I would be so uncomfortable. And your chairs are like pleather. They're like pleather. So you, I'd you be like stick. sticking. You would stand up and I'd, peel yourself I'd off. I'd stand up and be like. Yes. That'd be great. Fun. Anyways, guys, like our pages, Facebook, Instagram, leave us comments, leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts and rate us and send us some emails. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. And we'll see you next time. Hit the next hard time. bass drop now. Boom, boom. Yes. <laughs> That's going to be my outro every time. <laughs> <laughs>